when you're engaging blockage removal, you'll typically begin by taking the person's narratives after having them fast and pray in anticipation of this time and writing down whatever comes to mind. When you meet with them, you go through the narrative and you listen carefully to everything they're saying. The spirit of discernment will be with you uh, in this time and things that they're saying that seem to be relatively innocuous or insignificant will jump out at you and you'll follow through on those, discovering in the narrative the the process uh, by which they were invaded, whether generationally from the womb or subsequently by the acts and actions of others against them or both. You'll come to the place then of understanding where they made the jump from these being external false accusations to them embracing this reality or this false view as the reality uh, by ratification and we went through in the previous sessions the means by which you ratify. At this point you should have a clear picture as to not only where the people are at the present time in their emotional states but why they are in those states, how did they get there. Now once you understand this, then the next thing to do is to break down these strongholds of the enemy. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us coming into territories that have been, that represent the way the enemy has barricaded people behind false authorities. We have historically used this only to talk about evangelism and going into other countries where demonic powers hold sway. And sometimes we've seen it as just defending against the enemy by assuming that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The meaning of that, be, we assume the meaning of it to be that hell is attacking you. I will remind you that gates are stationary, they don't attack anybody. They're meant to defend what's behind the gates. So rather than hell attacking you, you get to attack hell. You get to attack the domains of these falsehoods and break down the gates of these strongholds to set people free who have been in bondage to these lies all their lives. Because one of the truths about uh, destroying these strongholds, these lying strongholds is the appeal is to God. You begin by being seated in Christ and the appeal is to God who will never allow a lie to take on the characteristics of the truth. Anything that is gained by a lie cannot be sustained by the one who gained it. When the person against whom this this evil has been perpetrated appeals to God for, for relief, in many ways it's a very juridical process. If the enemy gains an advantage by lying to you about who you are 
and you as a son of God appeal to God, he will deliver you from that lie. So the first thing I encourage is a statement positioning yourself in Christ before you you proceed to the next thing. And the next thing is to forgive those who have trespassed against you. But I will usually set it up by, by having the people involved. And by the way, I don't do this with unbelievers. And I rarely ever do this with young believers because the greatest need is amongst mature believers who have the sense that they're under this cloud and they can't, they can't penetrate beyond those ceilings. So the first thing I will do is have them make a declaration that they are sons of God. And as sons of God, they have a right to be, to access certain benefits and privileges that God has given to them as inheritances. These benefits and privileges include the right to retake a true picture of their identity and to live out the purpose for which God has put them in the earth, which purpose is to represent the living God in a mature fashion and to acknowledge that the lies of their enemy have have hindered this process and held up the truth from coming to them. You see, it's not that God doesn't give us the re, the, these benefits and the reality of them. No, it's when you have two minds about it that you can't receive it. It's not about giving, God gives it freely. It's always there. His gifts and His callings are not subject to revocation. He doesn't recall them. The devil can't actually hold them up. But the problem is there's no place for what God has given to, 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 for those things to be received. The issue is not about the giving, the issue is about receiving. So if the, devil, if the, if the enemy can, can uh, thwart the, your ability to receive, then it doesn't matter that God means for you to have it, you won't be able to receive it. Keep in mind what the scriptures say. They say, for a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, let not such a man think that he can receive anything from the Lord. The emphasis is not on the giving. God intends to give. God has given. There are three aspects to a gift. The first is donative intent, the intent of the donor to give you the gift. The second is delivering the gift. The fact that God intends to give you and delivers those gifts to you, uh, those facts are not in controversy. But the third element of the gift is that you need to receive it. But if you're double-minded, you can't receive it. So it's like the package being shipped at the order of the one who wishes to give it to you 
and the delivery service drops it off at your front door, but you will not go outside to pick it up, either because you don't know or you're afraid or whatever, for whatever reason the gift is not complete until you reach outside of your door and pick it up and bring it into the house, then it's your gift. Now, a double-minded man is one who is confused about his identity, he has two minds about his identity. At times he believes he's a son of God and when he does in those times he receives what the Word says and he may even act on it and receive beneficial results. But when he also believes the lie of his enemy about himself, then he will question whether or not he is deserving of receiving those very things from God designed to free him or her from those, those oppressive false accusations. That's the tension that you always, that people always experience within themselves. In fact, until this issue is resolved, most people go back and forth between the reality that they're sons of God and believing some measure of a lie that holds up the, the, the ability to receive the things that God has given, freely given to them to have and to believe in. So the first thing you do in the process of destroying the strongholds within the mind that prevent you from receiving the truth is an acknowledgement that you are a son of God who are entitled because God has made God has already God has already declared his intention to give you certain gifts and God has already sent those gifts to you by the Holy Spirit but they've been held up and robbed a robbery is as effective if it's held up if the delivery is held up as if it was stolen once you received it. The problem with not receiving, you see, is related to these lying deceptions that, leave, that deprive you of the capacity to present your body a living sacrifice so that what God means to give you, to strengthen you, to enable you, to empower you, to cause you to grow up, to cause you to function at a higher level in your walk with God, that that has been frustrated by, by the taking away of the capacity to receive. Right? So a statement will typically take the form of, I make the following declarations of forgiveness of persons from my position as a son of God. As a son of God, I am entitled to certain benefits and privileges which my enemy through lying deception has robbed from me. I now intend to retake from my enemy all that is mine and to that end I declare that I forgive the following persons. Hmm? Now, so that's the, that's the threshold statement behind which then 
you proceed to forgive people. The first act of destroying the stronghold of the enemy is your positioning yourself again in an identity as a son of God, right? Because the problem is when you have a dual identity, you don't settle that issue. You believe it sometimes and you don't believe it sometimes. But when you make that declaration, you are going on record that that's what you believe. Now, heaven hears your confession of being a son of God, mankind hears that confession, and angels and demons hear that confession, and everyone is bound by your confession. The throne of God acknowledges what you have declared. Mankind is aware of your intentions because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Angels stand at the ready to help you because they are ministering servants sent to serve the saints and God gives His angels charge, He tells them, now go and do what they tell you to do. God gives His angels charge concerning us, so it alerts the angels to be ready to come to our aid. Uh, Let me add parenthetically here, do you remember what Jesus said about angels coming to help Him? He said, don't you suppose that I can call down legions of angels to defend me? That was the night when he was betrayed and Peter took a sword, whacked off Malchus's ear, Malchus was the name of the high priest's servant. Jesus said, put up your sword. Don't you suppose that I can call down legions of angels to defend me? What do we think angels are made for? Foolish people think they're made for us to worship them. No, 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 they're a lower class of being than we are. And they were created in anticipation of us being designated as the sons of God. All angels, Hebrews chapters 1 and 2, affirm to us, all angels are ministering servants, sent to serve the saints. So when Jesus was in the earthly form and He was being harassed by humans, the night He was being arrested, He reminded His disciples that He could call down legions of angels to defend Him because angels are ministering servants sent to serve the saints, the sons of God. Now they are effective, angels are particularly effective against demons. How do we know that? Well, the record of Scripture is replete with that. Uh, uh, Daniel, in the book of of Daniel, uh, was praying to God after 70 years of Babylonian captivity and Daniel remembered the word of the Lord, so in the 70th year of their captivity, he was praying to God. And while he, was being, while he was praying, an angel was sent. And that angel was Gabriel. As he came through the human, from the heavens, see there are multiple heavens. The heavens where the throne of God is, the heavens that are the realms of the demonic, the seat of the demonic, 
and the heavens above the earth. So as he came through the heavens above the earth, where Daniel was a prisoner yet in Babylon, a slave and captive yet in Babylon, the prince of Persia, or the prince of, of, of uh, yes, the prince of Persia came to arrest his, his, uh, his flight, came to arrest the flight of the angel Gabriel who was coming to bring a word to Daniel from the throne of God. So angels come to assist humans and to help humans to bring messages. Angels came to bring a message to Mary and so on and so forth. Numerous examples of the scriptures of the interactions of angels to humans, never ever does an angel accept the worship of a human. Always faithful angels understand that they are servants of the sons of God. So when the angel, the prince of Persia, a demonic, a fallen demonic spirit held up Daniel or held up Gabriel on his flight to bring the message to Daniel, how did Gabriel get any relief? This happened for a fortnight, the war between Michael, I mean between uh, Gabriel and the prince of Persia, the demonic, the demonic prince known simply as the prince of Persia, known from the region that he ruled over, that he kept in darkness. Well, God dispatched another angel. This time he dispatched the angel of war, one known as Michael. Michael is referred to in scripture as Michael the great prince. Angels were made for particular services to God and man. In this case, Gabriel was a messenger who was probably not much of a match for the prince of Persia given the character of Persia as a warring and conquering nation. He might well have been one of the the mighty seraphs. I, I don't know that for sure, but he might have been. That's a category of angels um, th- who, do, who are made for war. Now the chief over these angels, over all the categories of angels, because angels are configured according to their categories of service. So they're messenger angels, they're warring angels, they're angels for prayer, um, um, they're angels who praise, for prayer and praise, I mean, and the angel over that entire category has an overarch of rules, so he's called an archangel, an angel whose authority overarches into that entire region. So in the category, that angel is the highest angel in that category. So you have a mighty prince like the prince of Persia, whose character we know from the manner of the rule, from the manner in which the people who live under his rule behave, that's how you know the character of the angel. He was obviously someone who very likely at some point was under the rule of Michael. So God dispatched his boss to put him in line, his former boss. 
And so when Michael came, there was no need for a couturier of angels to come with Michael. In a one-to-one combat between any angel, any warring angel and Michael, Michael will always emerge triumphant. So Michael knocked down the prince of Persia, deposed him, thoroughly deposed him. He didn't just have a fist fight with him or a sword fight with him, he deposed him from his position of authority never to arise again. In other words, when Michael does what Michael does, nobody walks away but Michael. Because when Gabriel told the story to Daniel, what Gabriel said, I was held up in my coming to bring you this message, none came to my aid but Michael, meaning I didn't need any other help but Michael. When he was done, he knocked down the prince of Persia, he deposed him, stripped him of his authority and he said, and when I return, I'll have to contend with a new authority that has risen where the old authority used to be. So he said, and when I return, the prince of Greece will come. When the nation of Persia, the empire of Persia fell, it was the Greeks who arose after that. The famous battle at Thermopylae saw by and large the end or the beginning of the end of uh, the Persian hegemony. What is my point? And we could go on and on talking about the categories of angels and how they fight and the methodologies and weaponry and all of that because it's all there in the scriptures. We just don't look at it. We're always looking for doctrine to do this or that and not even seeing the order of things that exist in the scriptures. But again, I'm Though I'm tempted to go in that direction, I absolutely restrain myself. What is my point? My point is that the angels whom God charges, tells to go and help us, are perfectly competent to accomplish whatever restraint or whatever action we decree against these angels who fallen have found places to occupy the souls of people through deception. One of the ways God remedies the situation is by sending angels who respond to our judgments. Now I'll get into that in much greater detail in the next broadcast, but I want to wrap up this portion by going further and talking about Once you have seated yourself in Christ, I am a son of God, I'm making these declarations of forgiveness to take back my place as a son of God and my benefits as a son of God. Once you do that, you've seated yourself again in Christ, you've submitted to Christ, you reminded all the, the authorities that be from the throne of God to mankind in order of the the realms. Then you proceed to forgive each person their trespasses against you because the way the demonic works is by authority. God never gave to the enemy any authority to function upon the earth. 
The only authority he has is what those who have been given authority, namely humankind, what authority they have that they concede to him. Now, no human will intentionally concede his authority to Satan or to the configuration of the demonic kingdom. So how does Satan principally get this authority? Well, simply, he gets it by deception. He's a liar and a father of lies from the beginning. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, we saw him work his lies, lying deceitful statements that lured Eve and Adam off of their place of sonship and rule because God had given dominion to both Adam and Eve. Have them, he told them, not just man, but man and woman, he told them to have dominion. So he deceived the woman first by the manner in which he engaged the authority, but the man who could have redeemed the situation did not, he acquiesced. That's how Satan gained initial authority amongst mankind in creation. Now I use language very specifically. You notice how I said that? He gained authority amongst mankind in creation. I never said he gained authority over creation because man did not have the right to give authority over creation to the enemy. He was given authority to rule creation as God's vassal or viceroy, but God has retained control over creation. That was no more evident than when Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. If Satan had authority over creation, he would not allow Jesus to calm the storm. God never gave authority over creation to the enemy and Satan has no authority over creation. He has authority over man who has authority over creation. But he must appeal to God in order to be able to use any aspect of creation for his purpose. And I cannot think of the time when God allows the created world to ever fall subject to the jurisdiction of Satan. So you go through the process of forgiving those who have trespassed against you. I will go through that process in the next broadcast. Typically, you begin with the generations that have oppressed. And you may need to forgive grandparents. We dealt with a a person some time ago who knew that eight generations ago their father owned slaves, that father owned slaves. And there was a necessity to forgive the generations eight generations ago in order to break up the authority of the enemy in the present day and in the present time. So I'll talk a little bit more about forgiving those who have trespassed against you because it's in forgiveness, one of two conditions, first in forgiveness, the other in your own repentance, but we'll come to both in the next broadcast, but it's in forgiveness that you actually destroy the work of Satan by way of claiming authority over you.
we'll proceed with the next session and we'll proceed right from that point to discuss forgiveness.